Welcome to Mind Your Pleasure Podcast, where we discuss how your pleasure can lay the foundation for justice, community, and personal evolution. Welcome back, everyone, to Mind Your Pleasure Podcast. Today, we have the sex, not porn artist and photographer, Ricardo, and he's going to discuss his perspective on sexuality as a form of artistic expression. So welcome, Ricardo. Thank you for having me. I would love to know, and we would all love to know, what actually got you into this work. What made you so inspired to start taking pictures of naked people and and doing this type of art? Well, there's always the one thing that drives pretty much all artists, and it's it's masochism, I guess. It's it's enjoying doing the... uh, the painful and nearly impossible and improbable and whatever, blah, blah, blah. But in all seriousness, um, I don't know, it's kind of a long answer. I'll, I'll try and make it as good as possible. Um, it starts with just love. Um, as a little kid, I kind of fell in love with cameras. I thought they were really interesting. I was always a kid that liked gadgets, that... Um, you know, read Popular Mechanics magazine and Scientific American and all that nerdy stuff. And and um, unfortunately, I was not good with my hands. So I wasn't good at drawing or, or painting particularly. But I was always good with equipment. I was always good with a camera um, from the time I was 14. So that started me, you know, sort of on the journey of as a photographer. But of course, I didn't start off as a sex photographer. I started off as a fashion photographer and did that for a while in my in my twenties. And when I got sort of done um, spending three hours getting people's hair and makeup on and working with all these expensive clothes and um, all these ever shifting styles, I wanted to do something more internal, uh, something that wouldn't go out of style. And I kind of just figured that nudity would never go out of style. <laughs> you know, we're still looking at sculptures, you know, from Greece and Rome and carvings from Africa and, you know, paintings from all over the world um, with nudity. So I just thought that would be a thing to do that wouldn't go out of style. So I started off being a fashion photographer, then I transitioned to doing nudes and did nudes for a long time, um, very non sexual nudes and color in natural landscapes. And then um, little by little, I sort of got pushed into doing more sexual work. And what pushed me was my own model. My own model sort of let it be known that they wanted to express their sexuality more and that I was keeping them back and I was suppressing them by not being comfortable with it myself. So my course is to either challenge myself and expand my comfort zone or just keep repressing my models. And I, I decided, um, where was it? I guess I decided 10 years ago to, um, to expand my comfort zone and to embrace um, sexual imagery, imagery in my artwork. And you've done 
some projects since then, right? You had the the sex goddess project and another project that you're currently working on that I had the very honor before this call to view the beautiful images um, and the stories that these images really just speak to. So thank you for that. And, you know, I, I'm curious, you know, we learned a little bit more about what drew you to this work, but when you're in the work itself, what is driving you? What is that mo- that main motivator um, and the things that arise for you as you're taking these very intimate um, photographs? Well, in the moment when I'm actually in people's homes, because I don't see the studio, um, my models decide where they want to be photographed, and most people opt to shoot in their own homes. So I'm mostly going into people's homes. It's usually the first time I've ever met them. And um, sort of what drives me in the moment is uh, just gratitude. It's, it's just such an amazing thing to be welcomed into other people's intimacy. I mean, that's their inner world that they've created together. And it's very special and private and vulnerable. And we've lived through like thousands and thousands of years of authoritarian figures telling us that sex is something that's supposed to be private, that it's not supposed to be witnessed by others. Um, but um, these people have allowed me into that privacy. So I feel I was very honored and grateful. Um, and it's, it's, you know, the energy is amazing. Um, when you're in a room where there's love in that room and you can tell that the people deeply care about each other and you get to hear that sort of language, the secret language that each couple, you know, they have their own language, they have their own jokes. You have no idea what they're laughing at, but they have their own jokes, they have their own body language, they have their own secret signals and all this stuff, secret rituals, but it's it's pretty, it's pretty cool uh, to be in that space. So that's one thing that drives me. And the other thing that drives me that's always in the back of my head is, you know, it's just sort of anger. I, I'm angry that, you know, things this beautiful and things this special is so misused by this culture and so, like, um, I don't even know how to, how to say it. Um, why have we been told this is something dirty, this is something shameful, this is something that should be hidden when the opposite is true and it's not even logical. I mean, logically, we should all know that every other thing that we think is valuable and beautiful, we celebrate, we, we promote it, we put it out there for everyone to see, but for some reason we've allowed ourselves to convince that this one thing the most important thing of all, because let's face it, without sex, none of us would be here. Um, this, this beautiful, wonderful thing, um, we've been told, you know, shouldn't be seen, or if it's seen, it should be seen in, a, you know, in a, as a, you know, as a mockery. You know, porn is a mockery of what authentic, you know, sexual expression really is. So yeah, I, I have. I'm both very happy when I'm in that space that I have the honor of being in that space, but I'm also angry that, you know, that this beautiful thing has been so misused in our, in our culture. Yeah. 
And, and, you know, I firmly believe as well, um, beautifully said, by the way, I firmly believe that when we do not explore our sexual fulfillment and pleasure as a whole, you know, explore the thing that literally brought us here onto this planet Earth, we're not truly living. When we live disconnected from that, we're not truly living. So what I hear you describing is that your message to the world, to society, to our current culture and narrative of what sexuality looks like, um, you're you're breathing in this element of uh, basically filling the gap, right? Because we see the current narrative is either porn, where you know it's so over sexualized that it's just used for arousal and sexual stimulation, or right. There's that flip side where there's no talk about the intimacy, right? There's no sense of um, connection, right? So where's like, you know, where is the in-between where we can foster a depth of connection without having to rush, without having to be all about sexual penetration and orgasms? And, you know, where is the beauty of that? And to me, what you're describing is you're capturing the beauty of that, the essence of it, which is really the gap that I think so many people are experiencing in their intimate lives, especially with their with their partners. Totally true. Um, I will disagree with you about one little thing. I hope you don't mind me disagreeing with you. Um, I never, I never go for it. Uh, I never capture. Capture sort of like a predatory term, and you know, I'm not some like great white hunter <laughs> going into the jungle trying to capture these these people. Um, you know, photography has been a very patriarchal-driven art form. There's lots of macho guys with big cameras with huge lenses and that's not me. I consider myself a witness. Um, I consider myself a sacred witness mm. because what I'm witnessing is sacred. And um, and we've all we all need witnesses. Um, we all, you know, in a way the greatest gift um, a photographer can give anyone is to allow them to be seen. And I think a lot of people deep down have a need and a desire to be seen, to be, um, you know, to be received, to be accepted for who and what they are. Um, so if I can provide a, a space where people don't feel judged and they feel welcome and they feel empowered and they feel embraced, um, then I consider, you know, me, that's me doing my job well. And um, I love, as, as we've seen in my work, I love diversity. So I love receiving um, the people that normally don't get received by photographers. Um, I I grew up a born again Christian. I'm definitely not a Christian anymore. Um, but you know, something's sticking in your mind, right? And um, in the Bible, Jesus says that the stone that you guys refuse. I'm going to make into my cornerstone. I'm going to build my whole temple around the stone that you don't want. And I have, you know, kind of the same attitude with my photography. I want to see the people that most photographers don't want to see. I want to see the older people and the fatter people and the people that don't fit into whatever the standard silly notion of what beauty is. I want those people. So I love, uh, you know, diversity. 
And I think um, I think people um, like the fact that um, that I am interested in them because for a lot of people they'll say uh, no other photographer <laughs> wanted to shoot me, and I'm like, yeah, I want to shoot you. I'll shoot you every day. Sorry, I went off on a, I went off on a bit of a tangent. Oh my goodness! I just no, 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 no. I absolutely love like uh, just you speaking about how passionate you are about this gives me chills. I mean, you can feel it, you can see it in your work, and then also that the fact that you don't see it as shooting as as capturing at a moment, but to witness the moment, and I think that you being able to even recognize that is so healing and so profound, you know, and I think, you know, well, I, I don't, I don't necessarily know because I'm not one of your, <laughs> your right models. But um, I think that if it, when you're in a space where, you know, there's no judgment, there's no need to actually capture, to pose, to, you know, look a certain way that it takes that pressure off. It takes the edge off. And, you know, even, even looking at your images from the sex goddess project, you know, just the profound amount of joy and, and pleasure that you are witnessing and you can see that in your photos is is beautiful because I don't know if I could say you know those women might not be able to show up the same way in that purity and that joy you know if it was a different photographer that needed a specific outcome that was there to like truly capture the moment right so I, the difference here that I'm sensing from you is that you know this is something that is healing that is enriching to the lives of the people that you are taking photos of as well. Yeah, it's healing all around. Um, it's very healing and challenging for me. Um, it's definitely taught me a lot. Um, like when I first started writing about the intimacy project two years ago, even before I started shooting, I was trying to write down my thoughts. And um, the big thing I'd learned from the Sex Goddess Project was that I knew almost nothing about sex. <laughs> I mean, I thought, I thought I knew. I was, you know, in my late 40s when I started the project. I'd been around. I thought I knew things, but I didn't really know anything until you really get out there and you see mm. the diversity of sexual expression. Um, you know, I, you don't really know. And, one of the great lessons I learned from that project is that the body you're in, your size, your height, your color, your gender, has no relationship to your ability to give and receive pleasure. And so um, I just think it's just such a strand of hope that we've perpetuated on ourselves that we promote all these films and TV shows and music videos where it's only the young so-called beautiful people that are shown giving and receiving pleasure where some of the oldest and some of the least conventionally attractive people like photographs have been the best and <laughs> receiving pleasure. So, um, you know, that was just one of the many lessons that I learned in doing that project. Um, so I just realized there's just so much, there's, there's so much to learn and there's so much to um, to explore, which is good for me. I mean, you know, for probably the rest of my life, I won't even scratch the surface of what can be done in this in this area. So at least I'm, I'm, I don't have to worry about running out of motivation or running out of things to, to explore. Mm. 
And you mentioned something there too, where I'd like to explore and elaborate a little bit more on is this, you know, how, how porn has really shifted our perception of what beauty and body image is. So, you know, how have you, I guess, how have, how has this motivated your work in some ways? And also how has this actually shown up um, perhaps in, you know, like, like the couple's photos, for example, has, you know, the influence of porn shown up in, you know, the midst of, of you witnessing um, these intimate moments, especially between couples? Yeah, um, that's a big question. I have a big answer. I'll try and, I'll try and um, make it as succinct as I can. Um, for me, I mean, um, I get fired up about it because firmly feel that porn is toxic um, and destructive, um, you know, culturally and otherwise. Uh, I'm not saying that it has no redeeming qualities. I'm sure uh, in some limited ways um, it can benefit some people. Like um, I've known some people that are very uh, physically challenged, cerebral palsy and whatever, and porn has been part of their sexuality because they have certain limitations and whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, but for most people and in most ways, I think it's quite toxic. And I know that from personal experience. For me, unfortunately, <laughs> for me, um, porn was my introduction to sex um, and sexuality. When I was 10 years old, I found a sack of Playboy magazines someone had just thrown them out on the corner and bundled them with some wine, not caring who might stumble on it and uh, and look at it. And so my 10-year-old brain was not ready <laughs> to see, you know, 30 Playboy magazines. And, um, and it immediately gives you an unrealistic expectation of what life is like because most people don't look like the women in Boy magazine. Um, even they don't look like that because now as a photographer, I know how airbrushed and and retouched you know those images are. So even those people don't really look like that. Um, I didn't know that. And, you know, mm. um, it just did a lot of weird things to my brain, and um, it's very um, it's very powerful and somewhat addictive. So I would say from the time that I was 10 to my early 30s, um, my sexuality revolved around porn. I would watch porn and masturbate when I wasn't with a partner or um, even when I was with a partner, you can replay in your mind things that you've seen in porn. <laughs> it, was, it was terrible. And luckily, something you know happened to me to snap me out of it. And I met this really cool woman um, when I was in my early 30s, she was just so artistic and cool and all that good stuff. And I was excited. And, you know, it was our first date. And um, somehow I got to the issue of porn. And I said, yeah, but I, but I looked at porn. And the look of disappointment and disgust on her face. <laughs> I said that. And I didn't, I didn't understand back then where she was coming from. Um, but, um, you know, she had been... I don't know if traffic is the right word, but she had been coerced into briefly being in, in the porn industry when she was younger. 
And when she told me about how it had scarred her and, you know, how difficult it was for her to overcome that. Um, and she said to me, guys like you, when you're looking at porn, you're, you're not thinking about, you know, what happens, you know, to these people that are performing the porn for you. You know, they're sort of like gladiators, like that used to be like in the Roman Colosseum. People, you know, just went to the Colosseum for the entertainment. They didn't really care about what happened to the gladiators, right? And she said, people don't care about what happens to people, particularly women, um, in the porn industry. And that really sort of blew my mind that I had to really test myself. And I tell you, just from that conversation, I, I sort of never wanted to watch porn again. And I, I really, really, really sort of turned a, a switch on in my head. And um, I actually did three years of research because besides being a photographer, I'm also a film director and writer. Wrote a script about the porn industry and sort of the negative effects that it has on the people in it. Um, and so I did three years of research. I actually created a newsletter where I interviewed people in the in the porn industry. I think I did about thirty editions of my newsletter. And so the, I heard the stories for myself, and I learned, you know, the terrain for myself. So, yeah. Um, that um, is something that um, that I get pretty um, worked up about. And here we are, you know, sort of more more than, well, about 25 years later, and even when I'm photographing couples now, um, I can tell immediately, you know, who's, who's watched porn and who hasn't, because the way that they approach sexuality is so different. Especially, I can especially tell if men, uh, you know, watch porn, <laughs> and because you can see the way that they relate to women is quite different. Um, so, um, yeah. <laughs> so even to this day, you <laughs> sort of encourage people to get out of the porn sort of motif and get back into, you know, being connected and being loving and and being, you know, sensual. Uh, don't get me wrong, I have nothing against fucking. I think fucking is great. But um, even when you're fucking, it doesn't have to be porn fucking. <laughs> it can be authentic. It can be, you know, it, it can be realistic. It can be respectful. It can be a lot. It can be, it can be funny. It can be awkward. It can be dorky. It can be a, so many things. Um, you know, and so my main sort of knock about porn is, first of all, it's driven by capitalism, um, which, you know, paints it and corrupts it, because when people are doing things specifically, you know, for making money, um, you know, we know what happens with these big corporations where they just care about their bottom line and they don't care about their effects on the planet or people. Same thing with, you know, with making images. If you're only making images to make money and you don't care how it affects people, that's uh, you know that's a thing. Um, so it's it's capitalistic and driven by money. Um, it's unrealistic, and that's okay if um, if it was only a small part of what people see. 
for what it's the only thing that people see. So you can imagine that if the only food people had access to was McDonald's or like some frozen pizza or something, or the only sports, you know, people watched was like, you know, wrestling or something. That's not realistic. Um, you know, people would be very confused, to say the least. And unfortunately, that's what happens with sexual images. Mostly people only have access to porn. There are very few artists that are doing um, the kind of work that I do, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I'm very motivated to try and yeah. get an, an alternative or a response to, uh, to porn. Mm, yeah, and also, you know, I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about how, you know, what you're creating is art. It's not erotica, right? Erotica yeah. can be categorized as another form of pornography, right? So how do you navigate that when people, I guess, uh, have this preconceived notion that what you're creating is more erotica-based than artwork trying to, um, you know, showcase the, the profound intimacy and connection that one can have through their sexuality? Great question. Um, I'll try and answer it succinctly as well. First of all, I think most people don't even have a firm definition of what is porn and what is art, and what is erotica. Because um, I ask people all the time, they usually don't have a particularly firm um, answer. They may say porn is, you know, when you see images of naked people having sex, um, which of course, that's not necessarily porn. I mean, I've seen great films like, uh, you know, um, like Henry and June or um, The Unbearable Lightness of Being. And I've seen a couple of Philip Kaufman movies where there's plenty of people naked having sex, but it's not porn. Um, you could say it was erotica, but it's, it's, very, it's pretty artistic. And it's, it's, you know, it's art. Um, so one of the big differences is in you can only have art if there's an artist. Um, that might sound silly and simple, but there has to be an artist. Art, art is when one or more artists um, share their unique way of looking at the world, a unique worldview, um, you know, with with their audience, and um, all of us have a unique way of seeing the world that no one else. Um, and part of how we see the world is based on what we've experienced, um, where we come from, what we've done in our life, what our biases are, what our, you know, what our experiences have been. And so, um, you, you know, you can, you can tell an Andy Warhol, <laughs> you can tell, you know, a Van Gogh or a Bacchus or whatever, um, they've got a unique voice. Um, you can tell you can tell Stevie Wonder or whatever. Um, in porn, um, there's not an artist. Um, you could put 15, 16, 17, 20, 100, 300 different porn clips, you know, beside each other, and you might be very challenged to tell who made what and who, you know, and who didn't make what. And um, and um, Besides having an artist, um, art 
is always a commentary on the human experience. We make art, and we've always made art to try and understand and grapple, you know, with the things that we experience. So, for example, sixty thousand years ago, when we were drawing on caves. We didn't do that for no reason. We did that because we were trying to recreate and explore and record and sound uh, unique experiences that we're having, like the group hunt for buffalo or, you know, um, or fertility ritual or, you know, some sort of religious uh, connection, you know, with the, you know, with the world around us. Um, and so that's another thing that's missing uh, from foreign and erotica is what is it trying to tell us or teach us or reveal to us or challenge us to understand about the human experience? And so, um, you know, that's, you know, part of, you know, part of um, the, the distinctions for me. Um, in my work, if, when you see my work, my models are not looking at the camera trying to arouse a viewer. They're in their own world. They're doing their own thing. They're not. They're not there, you know, for you. <laughs> they're not even there for me. They're there for themselves, doing, you know, doing their thing. And um, and the work, in no way, shape, or form, is trying to arouse or to blame anyone. That some people might find fairly unarousing, and that's that's fine. That wasn't the intent. Yeah, some of the images are raw, they're real, they're intense, some are more soft, right? So it, I think that when we go into even viewing, um, you know, photos like yours that have such a different, unique, um, you know, attitude about them, right? Because we're not, it, it, like you're saying, it's not meant to be arousing, it's not meant for, you know, to to get you in the mood, right? It has this purpose to take you deeper. And I think that when we go into viewing any type of artwork, we're going into it with our own preconceived notions, with our own beliefs, you know? So of course, when we see certain things, you know, it can trigger something within ourselves that maybe doesn't feel like, you know, <laughs> how we think it should when we're viewing something like erotica, where it's just meant to be beautiful. And, you know, it's meant to stimulate something within your mind, right? There's a purpose, right? But for you, the purpose is much more broad. It's much more open because you're creating, you know, you're, you're, it's a story, right? It's a story between whether it's the women you're cap capturing or, um, I say capturing again, but, um, <laughs> oh, my bad. <laughs> Whether it's the women that you're witnessing in, in self-pleasure or, you know, the couples that you're currently working on uh, during your intimacy project, which is still ongoing right now. Um, it's such a beautiful distinction between what is art versus erotica. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious to how this will impact right the mainstream narrative surrounding sex and intimacy you know and um how we're able to show up in our lives and our especially in the bedroom and our in our sexuality with more of uh, just an open perspective to what's possible um and what's considered to be normal right yeah yeah i mean i think um so i think oh, sorry, go, ahead. Oh. go for it i was gonna say um in the short term, it's hard to challenge the impact of porn 
porn is so pervasive and so powerful and so so well funded it's difficult to make a dent um against that but you make ripples and you know you don't know how far out the ripples will get but um i know sort of in the immediate term the people that see the work um get a lot out of it um i've done 19 shows of of the goddess project um and um the people get a lot out of it people are not used to seeing older people and larger people and trans people and all kinds of different people um um celebrate their their sexuality in an authentic and unapologetic way and um even just that is pretty revolutionary pretty healing for people get a lot of reactions from the number of large people that have in my project um i think at least 40% of the people that i choose are are large people and um even that is a, rev- a revolution because so much body shaming fashion ridiculous stuff that happens in our culture so even just pushing back against that is a revolutionary act and ageism is a big thing we're not all young and beautiful like you are <laughs> So, um, you know, um, I photograph people up to 76 years old, and I hope to be able to photograph even older people. So if there's any um, octogenarians or nonagenarians out there, please <laughs> let me photograph you. Um, and, you know, I'm, you know, a revolutionary act. Pleasure and joy is not just for the, uh, the young people. Um, and of course, you know, pushing against the binary and the gender roles that we're, you know, constricted into a lot of the time is, is also great. So to show trans people and non-binary people and people that are demisexual or sociosexual or have all these different kinds of sexualities, I think it's, it's quite interesting um, as well. And I, I always appreciate the opportunities to include include a wide diversity in, in the work. That's one thing that I immediately noticed when when viewing your work is just the overwhelming appreciation that I had, you know, seeing women of all shapes, ethnicities, you know, and, and it's, it's so beautiful to see because, right, the mainstream narrative is usually white, young, pretty, you know? <laughs> so, you know, being able to see you know everyone being shown you know in their sexuality it it really allows people not only viewing but the 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 women being photographed to claim their sexuality to say no i'm allowed to be here and take up space you know i'm fucking powerful so to reclaim that in a world that is constantly suppressing um, and and you know shaming, especially even like things like slut shaming, right? You know, so just being able to witness that in your photographs was very moving, and the, just the overwhelming joy and pleasure that they're experiencing is so authentic, right? And the authenticity, I think, is what what 
really speaks to the viewer is that you can see it in the images. The authenticity is not what you get in porn and erotica and things that are meant for you to feel a certain way or have a specific outcome, right? One more thing that I really was interested in talking to you about, if you have an opinion about it, um, is kind of this, now, now we see that, you know, there's kind of these shifts in perspective where, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are pro-porn and that are supporting porn for, um, you know, I, I'm not sure how I would word this, but it, it, as a, as a beneficial, as a beneficial use, um, in their sex lives. Um, and, and also there's a lot of porn websites I know of that are climbing that are more like women-based and more like, you know, supposed, you know, authentic connections, right, in the porn industry as well. So what are your thoughts on that? Um, I'm just really curious. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on it. Um, hard to know where to begin. I mean, I think to me, porn is similar uh, to drugs, so similar to crack or cocaine or crystal meth, or similar to sort of gambling, right? Um, I'm not trying to say no one should ever do any drugs or no one should ever gamble, but my God, let's not pretend that those things are healthy and progressive. Um, you know, sure, you want to go to a casino and, and gamble or whatever? Sure. And for some people, that's just fine. But let's not pretend that that's not going to create some problems in society, that there aren't going to be people with gambling addictions or there's not going to be, you know, all kinds of negative spinoffs from, from that kind of stuff. Um, same with, you know, same with cocaine. You want to you wanna party and do some coke? Have at it. But please don't try and convince me that it's healthy. Please don't try and convince me that it has no <laughs> negative effect. No negative effects on our society. Please don't don't do that. Um, you know, and as far as the, the alt porn or the feminist porn or whatever, that's always been around. That's one of the things I learned, you know, in my three years of research. Back in the seventies and eighties, they had female-made porn. Um, you know, there was you know women like Candida Royale and other women. There's a company called Adam and Eve Productions specifically to make porn for couples. Um, there were male pornographers that were doing so-called pretty porn, um, like Henry Blake, for example, um, where they were having bigger budgets and prettier models and beautiful settings, sometimes falling characters, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And that's great or whatever, but as, um, as Sarah Palin uh, once said, uh, you can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. So, um, um, sure. Um, you know, I think it's definitely a better idea to have more women and more trans people make porn if porn has to be made rather than just, you know, patriarchal males, you know, carrying out boring male fantasies. But at the end of the day, um, Similar issues emerge, and that is, porn has a profound effect on our brains. It literally rewires our brains. And we, you know, we get these little dopamine hits or big dopamine hits that you get 
when you're watching, you know, porn, when you look at someone's brain, um, and all the things that light up in someone's brain when they're watching porn, you'll see how powerful an effect it has. And the younger you are and the less developed your brain is, let's say you're under 25, so your frontal cortex isn't fully developed, it has a radically powerful effect. And um, again, you know, I don't want to make overbroad statements, but there are so many times where I've heard um, people complain that um, because their partners are watching so much porn, it's interfering with their ability to intimately connect with their partner. Or people feeling under pressure to perform sexual acts that they're not necessarily comfortable with or interested in because they're, you know, their partners are seated in porn and think it's normal and think that's what everyone should do. <laughs> um, if you watch enough porn, you would think it would be normal for two strangers to meet each other and within 10 minutes be having an open. <laughs> that's kind of the paradigm uh, that porn uh, promotes. Um, and I have, myself, I have, you know, seen, you know, 14, 15, 16 year old girls talking about and sometimes even play acting out things that they've seen in porn and put pressure on them to over sexualize themselves at an age where they may not understand all the implications uh, and consequences to, you know, overly sexualizing themselves or allowing themselves to be overly sexualized by other people. So you know, I think we could have a long conversation about how problematic, um, you know, porn um, can be. So for the people that are, you know, highly promoting or highly supportive of alternative porn or, um, or um, feminist porn or other kinds of so-called healthier porn, um, then my question would be the same as the same food analogy. Yes, you could have healthier pizza or you could have healthier fast food. But why not we just encourage people to do something that's actually really healthy? How about making your own food? How about slow food instead of fast food? How, you know, how about teaching people to appreciate the beauty of a salad? <laughs> You know, rather than trying to make healthier fries, for example. Um, so, sure, um, I think feminist porn and all porn is sort of like um, less than the healthiest food choices, and you can have them or whatever, and you won't necessarily die, but you're not going to necessarily be healthy. So, um, I would love people to be well nourished and, and to, to have healthy diets. I know I'm a dreamer. I'm a big dreamer, but I would prefer to promote whole foods. So good whole foods. Well, you wouldn't be a big dreamer if this wasn't possible, right? And oh my gosh, you mentioned so many wonderful pointers. A big thing that stood out to me is, you know, we often talk about the impact of porn on young boys, right? But you mentioned the impact of porn on young girls as well. And that got me thinking because you know, for a very long time, I, I really, 
I might have had an, more of an understanding on where I wanted to uh, put my sexual energy and who I wanted to have sex with, right? In my younger days, I actually didn't lose my virginity until I was almost 19 years old. So, you know, there there was that part of myself where I'm like, I'm going to save myself. And then before you know it, even when I went into that first sexual act, I remember thinking in my head about the porn that I had seen like years previously, not just recently, but like years ago when I was maybe what, 13, 14 years old, my brain was still remembering those images and the contents that I had seen that long ago that was, that was playing out, not just remembering it, but actually playing out when I decided to have sex for the first time when I was almost 19 years old. So, I mean, the psychological impacts are far, like they're far reaching. They're more profound than we even realize on a conscious level. So yes, absolutely. Especially for, you know, children who are, you know, so easily accessible, right? It is affecting us so so unconsciously, we don't even realize that until we're adults now, we're like, wait, hold up, like, you know, this doesn't seem quite right, you know, I'm doing acts and things like that and acting a certain way, like, um, you, you know, that is not in alignment with who I really am. This doesn't give me a chance to actually explore what my needs or desires are. I'm literally coming into it performing and acting and thinking about it as I'm having the sexual act, like, oh, I must be having a good job and like doing a good job. I'm in this position and doing X, Y, Z. I must do everything right. Um, so I was, I definitely got caught up in that even as a 19 year old, right on the verge of adulthood. Right. But here I am, you know, basing my experience off porn that I probably viewed, you know, several years earlier. So definitely, definitely resonate with that um, and that it impacts all of us, not just boys, not just, you know, boys will be boys type of attitude. It affects all of us, no matter what gender, no matter what age. And, you know, as a sexologist, I've worked with a lot of men who have um, porn addictions. And, you know, I word that, I I use that word, uh, I use that word lightly or loosely because um, addiction, you know, some people might think, Oh, well, you know, it's not like crystal meth or something like that, right? But the effects and uh, that it has on the brain makes it so difficult to break out of. So that's something that is a good conversation to have as well, because a lot of men and women who are using porn don't necessarily even enjoy it, right? We just have those dopamine hits. And then, you know, as you continue watching porn over the years, you need more of a dopamine hit. And I think that's another reason why um, if someone is viewing porn for a long period of time, the type of porn that they're watching gets more and more and more violent, more and more and more like, you know, um, just like out there, you know, and again, there's nothing wrong with like kinks and stuff. But that's the theme that I've also seen, especially in my clients, you know, the men who are holding a lot of shame and guilt for for using porn and they can't figure out why they need it and why they can't get turned on without it. And it creates so much confusion because at the end of the day, and that this is the same thing that I'm hearing from you, Ricardo, is that we're all striving towards connection, 
right? And some of us, right, go down the, like, we're always going to go down the easier route. Porn is something that is easily accessible and we don't know otherwise, right? So if nobody, you know, if we're living in a society and a culture where um, no one is telling us how to have, you know, intimacy and true authentic connection with another human being, we're going to take the easiest route to figure out what all that means because all we're trying to do is strive towards that connection. It's what we truly desire most of all, right? But it just gets mixed up and bunched up. And then before you know it, we're like, you know, dependent on that thing and we can't get enough of it. Now the dopamine's high and we can't get off with our partners. And like, it causes all of these other disruptions, but at the root of it, it is emotional, right? At the root of all types of sex, it is emotional. It's all about whether you're avoiding your emotions and disassociating from your emotions, or you're able to open up to them, become vulnerable in the moment, right? And you've seen that tug and pull um, in the people that you are um, taking photos of as well, which you um, were briefly um, expressing, is you know the difference between the couples that have watched porn or the men who have watched porn versus the couples who have not, who, who have not. Um, so it, it, this is just a beautiful, elaborate conversation. Yeah. And also the women watch porn because even when I talk women solo, when they just supposed to be self-pleasuring, some of them have said to me, well, can I just have my laptop right there so I can, you know, watch porn while I'm doing it? I'm like, no. No, 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 no. Connect with yourself. Um, you know, enjoy yourself. Uh, and sometimes it's been a little bit of a thing where it's, you know they've said, "Well, I don't, you know, what what am I going to think about, or what am I going to visualize, or whatever?" And I just sort of try and get them, you know, go, you know, to, to try a different, you know, approach. Um, and sometimes, you know, sometimes that can be challenging. Yeah, it's not just men. It's, it's women and non-binary people and trans people. It's, it's affecting um, all of us for sure. And I'm, I'm worried. I have an 11-year-old kid, an 11-year-old daughter, and the biggest porn influence on her so far is the music video. Because in some of the, the music videos, how you know women portray uh, themselves, uh, it's really pornographic. <laughs> and some of the lyrics, um, you know. I have to, because sometimes we like sort of sharing music clips with each other and sort of telling each other what we like. So sometimes um, they'll say, hey, let's listen to this clip. And I say, no, let's, you know, let's stop the clip and let's go find the clean version of this song. Uh, because, um, yeah, even in, in mainstream music, some of the, some of the material is, Pretty uh, foreign influence, and um, it's only eleven. <laughs> We're already into it, so um, yeah, um, it's, mm. you know, I, I'm, I'm concerned. Yeah, and rightfully so. I mean, you know, even from the perspective that I have, is that you know the most powerful thing that we have are the images we create in our minds and the words that we say to ourselves. So as young children, and even as adults, especially children, because they're more impressionable, their brains are still developing, but also as adults, you know, if, if the images we're creating within our minds are that of, you know, 
cor- correlated to to erotica to porn and then the, and then also the words that we're saying to ourselves you know similar to right like the lyrics that you're describing right even if it's not something that we're seeing and it's something that we're hearing we're going to make images about what that means um so yeah you know, this is the power of your senses, right? But when you have control over that, when you understand um, your own thoughts, your own emotions, your own, the images that you're creating in your mind, that's when you have true power and fulfillment over your uh, sexuality, over your pleasure, over your joy, you know, and the, the number one complaint that I hear from my clients is just this overwhelming feeling of unfulfillment. It's so rampant. You know, it's this this unfulfillment that we can't seem to put our finger on, right? It's something that is so um, deeply embedded and and actually normalized within society um, that it's difficult for us to even decipher what's real and what's not. Um, and you know, we can go into like mental health and all of these other things that are so inter interconnected with our sexuality and sexual health. Um, but I can't agree, agree more with you, Ricardo. And it's, it's absolutely concerning. Um, and it it just goes to show how much, um, healing is still needed and, and why this industry is actually growing and growing and growing, you know, especially the sexual health industry, um, is because more and more and more people are, are needing this type of work. Um, the healing is not just sexual, it's mental, it's emotional, it's relational, it's universal, right? Our sexual healing and sexual health is not just for us, it's for the benefit of all, and it affects every facet of our lives. So you, you know, for example, being able to witness these moments of intimacy, um, you know, or someone who is in the sexual health field who is directly working with different sexual issues, no matter what angle we're coming from, right, we're, we're fostering more connection and more intimacy. And that's what the world needs more of. We all need more connection, especially um, something, you know, like our, our sexual connection. It is a huge part of who we are. It's not just something that we have to turn on in the bedroom and we only pay attention to it. Um, when we're feeling horny, it's something that, um, it goes far beyond sexual penetration, far beyond just striving towards a simple orgasm, right? It is that, um, innate, (laughs) just this innate, um, thing that we all that we all have and that we all desire to seek fulfillment from, and whoever tells you differently are, are freaking lying to themselves. <laughs> um, no, I, I but yeah, I thank you, thank you, more. thank you. I couldn't agree with you more, and I, I deeply appreciate the work that you do. And I'm glad that there's more and more people like you. There's still not enough people like you, but those of you who are teaching people, you know, authentic. You know, tantra and teaching people uh, more progressive ways of sexually expressing themselves is such vital work because, at the end of the day, um, sexual expression is probably our purest form of self expression. When we're out there in the world, you know, we're wearing clothes and we're, you know, we have different sorts of armor up or different, you know, sort of um, costumes we're wearing. We're all sort of one way or another in brown, it's just out there in the real world because we have 
to be a certain way at work, or we have to be a certain way with our families, or a certain way with peer groups or whatever. So often when we are alone with ourselves or with a, or with a lover, that's an opportunity to express you know, who we really are um, deep down. It's a way of sort of being emotionally naked and, and, um, and, and, and vulnerable. It's often the most vulnerable that we allow ourselves to be. So if we cannot be um, healthy and authentic in that space, then everything else is compromised. So, um, you know, I, if I, I, I'm sorry, I'm not wearing a hat. If I was wearing a hat, I'd take my hat off to you. I think what you're doing is, is brilliant. <laughs> I think the, the number one thing that you, that I heard from that message is this, this, this message of, uh, of innocence, right? And being able to cultivate our sexuality, knowing that it's innocent, right? And we can show up feeling sexy, feeling competent, knowing that it's innocent, Right. So many women are told that, you know, if you show up sexy and you look good and you're confident, oh, you're attracting the wrong type of attention, you know, and vice versa. So, you know, I think that this type of innocence is is just so utterly profound. Um, And that is the type of uh, energy that I witness in your work, as well as that innocence. Um, the innocence in, in how someone is expressing themselves. And that is just beautiful. So beyond words. All right, everyone, we are wrapping it up. Thank you so much for joining us. And we will see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.